Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Thursday, August 22nd. Oh, my goodness. Already into August 22nd. We have a wonderful show for you today. I'm so excited that we were able to um, get the show together for you, and I'm sure you will, too. Our guest is so awesome. I've had the pleasure of talking to him, and our producer, Bethany, has really had a wonderful chance of chatting back and forth with him via email, and she is super impressed with him, and I'm sure you guys will be too. He's so awesome. We're very privileged to have him today. Let me tell you something about our guest today, just a little, because we we spent all the time using him and not enough time left over to talk to him. So we do have Attorney Eugene Radcliffe on the phone, and his practice is primarily centered in business and corporate law, intellectual property, commercial law, entertainment law, product liability, and general litigation, trial, and appellate practice. I mean, and he does so much more. (laughs) I mean, his clients are some of the most respected names in business, politics, sports, and the entertainment industry, including an NFL first-round draft pick, a baseball Hall of Famer, an Olympic sprinter, and several Grammy award-winning musicians and labels. So everyone, welcome to Terry Live, Attorney Eugene Ratcliffe. Hi, Attorney Eugene Ratcliffe. I know you told us to call you Eugene, and we will get to that. Hello? Okay, we are awaiting um, his call. So we have someone that's listening. So thank you guys for listening. We're waiting on Attorney Ratcliffe to call in. So while we're waiting, what we will do, we will tell you some more about this really amazing attorney. And he is so um, likable, so approachable. You know, you hear stuff about attorneys. But I have a, so many friends who are lawyers, and they're they're so easy to talk to, so approachable. So I don't know how they got that um, stereotype, but we're going to dispel it today when he comes in. Okay, his, he has a broad experience in air, other areas such as estates and planning, administrative law, medical malpractice defense, employment and construction law. He has experience in gaming issues, zoning and licensing matters, redistricting, corporate real estate transaction, municipal taxing matters, and he has represented municipalities and agencies across a range of governmental matters and is currently general counsel to several private firms and state boards with both civil and criminal trial experience. He has been designated Deputy Assistant Attorney General in relation to um, medical malpractice and insurance fence work. He has drafted continuing legal education programs and conducted several seminars on many subjects, including estate planning, entertainment law, um, Sarbanes, Oxley. He authored 2006-2010 revisions to LARS 37-2441-245. Look at me and all this legal terminology just rolling with it, right? And co-authored several provisions of the um, LA Tax Credits Act for music and movies and so much more. So we are so excited to have um, him on the show. So I think, I'm not sure if 
Hi, are you there? Did I have you? Yes, muted? I'm. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear Hello? you now, but I I wasn't able to hear you earlier. So that worked well because I got to really do a really great introduction to let people know your credentials <laughs> and, and why we're so uber excited to have you on. Oh yeah, no, I was here. I was listening. Um, I guess it just didn't pick up, but I'm here. All right, yay! <laughs> and we do have some uh, a couple of calls on the line. I think they're just listening in the queue. So if they want to talk or have a question, they know to press the number one, and they will go into the queue, and we can talk to them. But first, I just want you to tell us, you know, a little about yourself. Uh, we we read the high level stuff. Did you always want to be a lawyer growing up? Uh, actually, no. Uh, well, I did when I was a kid. Then I went to a seminar, and they told us we had to read. And uh, I left that seminar and didn't go back until years and years later because uh, I was allergic to reading as a kid, as you can imagine. <laughs> but at some point later on, um, you know, I, I realized seriously the power that, that lawyers have to affect people's lives and, you know, decided that was what I wanted to do, including my own life. Wow. And that's so true because, you know what, we hear, and that's why I was so excited, again, excited that you were coming on, because there are so many myths out there and false information about lawyers and um, those especially, in, you know, who do the criminal law and I saw where you, you've done some work in that. But I was really interested, and Bethany knew that I was really interested when we saw that you do entertainment law and, of course, corporate law. I have a son who is in college, and he, of course, the first year he's doing the criminal justice thing and then he's planning to go to law school and he wants to um, study criminal law and of course as a mom I'm just like man there are so many other <laughs> forms of law out there please think of something else but he just feels called to help you know he said people that look like him to get a, um, to get justice so I gotta well, honor you know that who can't be proud of someone like that I, I agree with your kid. I, I agree with your kid. And uh, I wish that more of our youth had that point of view, more, more of our youth go, coming into this profession. Um, criminal law is kind of a funny thing. You start out not making a whole lot of money because you, you work for the government probably. You know, um, maybe a, a district attorney's office or a, a, a prosecutor's office where they don't make much, but my goodness, do they get experience. And, um, yeah. you know, they take that experience with them into private practice and you know, they, they can realize their, um, their, their dreams and for his employment goals. But more importantly, his son is right. There's just not too many um, minority lawyers on the other side of that bar. You know, we fill up the wrong side of the courtroom. Uh, I made that observation when I was in law school, and that's one of the things that really kind of lit a fire into me to finish and finish well. You know, your kid is right. You know, he he. People yeah. who look like us need good representation, not just representation, good representation. Right, and he has this idea where he wants to look the part. You know, he wants to look the part and be, you know, have the reputation of a corporate attorney, but he wants to be in criminal law. So he doesn't want to look like, you know, when you watch TV, you see the public defenders are always looking so tired. And, so, and, and of course, it's, it's true. They have so many cases. But he wants to, you know, he wants to be a high profile, not high profile, but at least have that look and that excellence. And when he goes to court, he wants the judge to take him serious. So he's going to always say he's going to be in designer suits and he's going to do this. And I'm loving what he's saying, but I'm like, dude, do you? 
you know, by the time you get out of law school, you're going to have all these long days back. You'll be lucky to get a suit from Walmart. But, of course, I'm going to be in his corner, so he will have his brothers, and he'll have all these amazing suits. And, you know, the he he really likes, um, what's that, Kenneth Cole, those shoes he con or something. So he's already into that. So he's going to bring, he wants his clients to have, you know, pride and to feel good about their case and, and what's going on and to have dignity and not to feel like they're the scum of the earth and they're just on trial and they haven't been convicted. So he, he really has a way of looking at it. So, and when I saw you, when I was reading what you've been about and, and how you carry yourself and you're, you're with, um, I didn't want to try to tackle the name of your current law firm. So can you just tell, I didn't want to butcher it. Yeah, it's just cool the name. Yes, it's cool. Is it cool yes. Oh, okay. I wasn't off. I wasn't too bad off. Yeah, so we're just so glad that you're doing that and what you guys are doing in New Orleans, um, Baton Rouge, actually. So, so growing mm-hmm. up as a little boy, you didn't like to read, right? No, I didn't. It's a shame because um, I guess I was a typical boy. Man, I, I'd hide books, run from books, uh, rip the pages out and make airplanes with them. But uh, at some point, you know, I, I learned the benefit of, of reading. And, um, you know, I'll tell you something. Somebody told me something in law school that I'd never heard before, but apparently it's an old phrase that uh, really impacted me at, at a late age. Uh, one of my law school buddies told me, you heard the old phrase, if you want to hide something from a black man, put it in a book. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, that, that sent chills up my spine. That's interesting because it was not a minority who told me that. And, um, you know, as an adult, which is when I heard that, I kind of – nowadays I read everything. I mean, I'll, I'll read – I spend time reading the back of the cereal box in the morning. I don't care what it is. I read everything. And uh, most of it's for fun, but some of it's on purpose. So, yeah, no, I, I didn't want to read when I was a kid. I learned some benefits later on and finally I uh, took to it and – you know, went to law school and got it done. And I tell you, that uh, that reading is, is, I guess you have to have it to skill level. It's actually a skill at some point to get through something like the professional schools, the law school, the mm-hmm. MBA, the medical school, the engineering schools. Uh, you, you just have to do it. And so, yeah, I finally broke into it, and uh, I've done okay with the reading so far. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad that you shared that because – there's so much pressure on kids to read and to, well, not only to read, but to love reading. We want them to not just read, but to love, love, love reading. And, of course, you're going to have some people who, um, some kids who just don't want to. They're going to be allergic like you. They're going to run. They're going to hide books, and that happens every day. So I'm glad you shared what you shared because I want parents to say, that's okay. It's your job to find a way and what I do with one of my sons who didn't read at all, he was kind of like you, you know, allergic and would break out into stuff, and you know, he had to read. <laughs> I, I found out what he really enjoyed, and he really enjoyed like the animation stuff. He was really into the anime, and so I started buying him books that he was, you know, on animation, and he started reading those, and he became and he became a great reader too. And so he doesn't necessarily love reading other stuff, but at least he can read other stuff, and he, he you know, mm-hmm. he's a um, sophomore in college. So we as parents have to find a way to get them to at least read. They don't have to love it, although, you know, we want them to. I'm glad you shared that because we think something's wrong with our kids if they don't like reading because especially if you're a reader as a parent like me, I read everything. I'm like, you, yeah, I read the back of cereal, but I just love to read. So that didn't carry well, over. That, that, There's no DNA game. 
Oh, and that and that's the secret. I mean, you you just said it. It's um, I, I don't buy kids don't like to read. I just I, I think kids like anything you you show them that they have an interest in. Now they have to have an interest in that, but again, it it takes a little bit of introduction. Kids do, especially when they're young, what they see their parents do. And I mean, we might want to run from that, you know, because uh, for most parents that might be an inconvenient truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Um, you read, your kid will read. You sit down with your kid and read. They'll love it. Find something that they like. And I like the thing you just said about finding something that your kid likes to read. I promise you. You know, I did an interesting thing with an adult um, probably about two years ago, and this is somebody who's very close to me. Um, they were having problems communicating, reaching, you know, their sons in particular. And I sat down with, this was a, a female classmate of mine, and I asked her, um, tell me this, what does your son like to read? What's his favorite subject? She didn't know. She didn't have a clue. Uh-huh. Say what? What is the thing that he likes most to do in his spare, spare time? Not not what you see him do, but what does he enjoy doing the most in his private time? She had no idea. She had no idea, and she wasn't a bad parent. Let, let me get this: she was not a bad parent. The point of this is, and again, you touched on it. Um, kids need your input. Kids need guidance. Kids need direction. And we get busy, you know. We have to pay the bills, and all that's true. But you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, what are you what are you working for? You know, you're working for your kids to have a better life, and that starts with things that too many times we put on the back burner. And it's the one instance that we're talking about now. Reading is just a good example of one thing. But uh, you sit down with kids, show them things that they like. If they like football, find them some magazines on football. Like you said, if they like anime, find some how-to books. But get kids reading. Because I can tell you from from a professional standpoint, it's the difference in a kid's success. You know, and, and I'll throw this out at you. I'm I'm not just an attorney. I'm also a bar examiner. So I sit down and, and grade the bar exams. I'm I'm one of the folks who gets to pick who gets to be lawyers and who do not. And I can tell you when I look at these bar exams, the difference between the students who make it and students who don't, it's it's writing, and writing comes. You know, again, from reading, you pick up your writing style from things that you read. I mean, we can tie all this back to reading, and, and you'd be amazed what um, a little bit of attention would do when your kid's three, four, five years old. That will take them through their entire lives, and um, reading is one of them. And so, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation about reading because, again, yeah, it opens the doors to so many other show things. Format. We can talk about reading when I have this amazing attorney on here, and, you know, people probably want to hear some <laughs> legal stuff. But I'm telling you, it's... It, it's, it's, it's no wasted time. It's never wasted time when you're talking about something that can potentially, well, will change somebody's entire life. They're, you know, the um, dichotomy of that, um, the trajectory of that is because we have to read. We have to make sure our children are readers. They have to be readers. All right. There's no getting around it. you got to read. You know, even with computers, it's kind of simplified things. You look at a picture of a hamburger, and if it's two patties, you know, that's a double. But still, mm-hmm. we have to make sure that our children, they compete if they can't read. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, and you can have that, that wonderful lifestyle you see on cable TV. That's fine, but you got to read to get there, and there's no corner mm-hmm. around it, you know. So, yeah, but anyway, no, as a kid, I was not a reader. I, I eventually um, made my way through just just life. I was one of these kids who got out of high school, and I had a decent job. 
you know, I was making a lot of money for a kid, and, you know, I thought it would be a good idea just to stop school and work. Well, I did, and I found out soon enough that that was a bad idea. And uh, the day I found out was when my company was sold. I forgot what year it was, but there was one of these little, one of these little mini stock market crashes, and um, I was an, an area manager. It was one of three area managers for this particular company. I'm not going to say the name, but um, the guy called us into dinner, and we went to this fancy restaurant. And he told us, and this is the thing that again sent chills up my spine and sent me running to a professional career. The guy looks at the three of us and he says, "You know, the market crashed today." And we had to sell off some assets, so I sold you guys. Oh. And I just thought the sound of another man telling me I sold you. It, it, it was uh, I couldn't get in a professional school quickly enough. And whether it was a professional school or, or something, I mean, I, I got my hiney in school in a hurry, and uh, I went through it with the purpose. You know, you would, you would. As a matter of fact, if you looked at my transcript, it's pretty good, but it's not why you think. It has nothing to do with smarts. At that point, it was man on a mission. Hearing another man tell you that he sold you, yeah, that's enough to change your life. You know. So I did that. Went to law school, and uh, ta-da. And here we are. <laughs> so let's talk about right. some of your experience as as a lawyer. Um, I'm sure. Are you also in? Do you go to court and you you defend uh, clients at level? Or are you just doing? You don't have to go and and to do defend them because you don't do criminal law, right? But when you have your no, no, no. clients, you have to go. Tell me, how does that well, work? Well, well, that's a, that's a funny thing. Um, when you say to a corporate lawyer, you don't do criminal law. When you're talking about a million-dollar client and he's in jail for the night, you do criminal law. <laughs> you do it in a hurry. No, but um, generally, no, what, what I do for the majority of my time, I've only had one criminal case that I remember, um, and that was way at the beginning. Let me see if I can see. I'm sorry, um, Eugene. Let me see what's going on with this feedback because I don't want our recorded version to are – you, are you on a speakerphone? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm not. Um, but I can call back on my cell phone. Would that help? Yeah, it may help because we're getting a lot of feedback on your end, and I said to be one of the Okay, you know, well, give me, give me. Okay, well, give me two seconds, and I'll call back on my cell. Hang on a second. Just I'm gonna That'd hang up. And call on myself. No problem. We'll be there. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right, everybody, for those who are listening in, you just tuned in. I'm Loretta McNary, and you're listening to Loretta McNary Live. And our guest is uh, attorney Eugene Ratcliffe. He's out of the Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana area, and he has a ton of experiences in different areas of law. And that's why we decided he would be a fantastic guest, and we're getting ready to get into um, actually talk about some of the legal areas he's worked in. He's ready to tell us that, yes, a corporate client can have um, – it's a criminal case sometimes, so I'm glad he bought that. Okay, I'm back. Can you guys All hear right, me? All right, yay. <laughs> okay, perfect. Thank you. Sorry about that. No problem. So you, you were asking me earlier how does the corporate thing work in relation to criminal law, and I was okay. saying it's kind of funny because if, if you're dealing with a million-dollar um, corporate client and he's in jail for the night, 
then you practice criminal law in a, in a hurry. So, so there's a little bit of crossover there. There, there. there may be some crossover, but no. Generally, my practice is is now it's um it's 100% business law, and that includes um advising corporations um with, with everything from negotiating deals to business structure to and I also have individual clients. Corporations is is just a, a small part of my clients. I have individuals and small businesses, but um. Generally, when you get through the practice, um, as you make your way through, there's, there's a dichotomy. I mean, and the dichotomy between criminal and um, civil law become a little bit more pronounced as you make your way through the system because you develop expertise. You know, I, I wouldn't want me as a lawyer in a criminal matter. I'd have to go hire somebody. <laughs> so if somebody were to call you or refer them, how about in your um, law firm, are there criminal attorneys with law firm, or how do you refer people out? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing about law school and, again, developing relationships as you go through your professional life. I have some friends that I've met, some colleagues, um, and not just law school. I've met them in professional associations. Uh, for instance, the National Bar Association, the NBA, is the African-American version of the ABA, the American Bar Association. And and it's a wonderful, wonderful networking organization. And, and there I've met some friends that I'll have for a lifetime. And uh, many of these guys are, are just the most superb criminal lawyers you've ever seen in your life. And, and business lawyers and civil. But what I do is take that network and um, get on the phone and, and find um, a decent criminal lawyer. And that's that. <laughs> I always often wondered if people would, you know, if, if lawyers would take on that, knowing that they may not be the best in that particular area of law, but they will refer them out to other attorneys, not even within the firm. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and that's also um, a pretty sticky area that most states regulate pretty tightly. Um, if you don't have an expertise in a, in a particular area, you you probably shouldn't take the case, and most states will tell you flat out you should not. But um, you know you get into areas there that involve uh, malpractice and not properly representing your client, and you never want to get into that situation. So, I mean, there's no harm in all good in referring your client, and plus it's the best for the client referring them to somebody who uh, who's competent. And it's, it's just like every other discipline on the universe. There's um, many many areas of law. So it's not an affront to a lawyer to not have a specialty in a certain area. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some things, for instance, um, real estate, um, wills and, and successions, and uh, bankruptcy. Those generally require specialists. Now, everybody's done a will, you know, once or twice in their life. But when it gets to handling a complicated succession, for instance, where you have kids and nephews and property across state lines and bank accounts outside of the country, you probably need a specialist. So there's no harm, I'm saying, and um, you're referring something out. You just have to have a good mechanism for doing that. And for me, the National Bar Association is perfect, absolutely perfect. 
Okay. So tell me about the different, okay, let's say for a corporate attorney, what kind of clients and what do you do as a corporate attorney? And I'm trying to use this because I want to educate the population that are listening because we just don't know a lot about it. We really, most people don't know any attorneys until they need one, and so they don't have mm-hmm. those relationships and they don't know exactly if I should call a corporate attorney, if I should call an entertainment attorney, uh, some kind of real estate attorney, some kind of, you know what I mean? We just don't know because we're not in that community. So can you kind of educate us along the various areas of law and when we should call what type of attorney? Yeah, uh, that's a good question, as a matter of fact. Um, let's see, the term corporate attorney, that, that generally implies a client that's a business that's already established. It's already in, in some corporate or, or business form, whether it's um, an LLC or corporation or partnership. It's something that's already there or or a group of individuals who are looking to establish something like that. Well, then in that case, you'd go, look for a, a corporate lawyer. Um, entertainment lawyer, for instance, is um, there's really no such thing. What there are are business lawyers <laughs> who have entertainment clients. Okay, but but that does not mean that there's no uh, expertise involved. You still want we, we use the term entertainment lawyer to kind of drag you towards somebody who who does have experience in the industry. I mean, uh, for instance, dealing with a, a movie contract is uh, it's a contract, you know, but it's a different kind of contract. It's not the same contract as one to buy a house or, you know, one to finance a, a car or anything like that. It's different, and there's some nuances in the contract that you want your entertainment lawyer to know. You know, for instance, certain types of clauses. There, there, there are parts of um, entertainment contracts that occur just in the industry and not in any other kind of contracts. Um you want your lawyer to know, for instance, industry information like the prevailing rate on a royalty, for instance, of a particular kind. So, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this to point out the fact that we're still talking about uh, specialization. So when you have an individual who needs a lawyer, then uh, it's the first step is easy. You know, what do you need a lawyer for? I'm saying it's easy, but, you know, I've had people walk in the office and basically say, look, I need a lawyer. I just have no idea what I'm doing, and I have no idea where to start. So help me there. (laughs) So a good beginning point would be figuring out what you need the lawyer for. And um, you want to get a specialist. I mean, it depends on the industry that you're in. If, If you're trying to buy a building, for instance, well, you want somebody dealing with commercial real estate. You know, again, it just depends on where you are. And for that, by the way, I'm going back to this NBA. Sounds like I'm doing a commercial for the NBA today. Uh, this National <laughs> Bar Association, it, it does, well, I'll tell you, it does, but it's good. It's uh, one of many, many agencies that are referral agencies. You know, you can look up the NBA uh, on the uh, online and call and tell them what kind of lawyer you're looking for, what your needs are, and they'll find one. They'll recommend one for you. And, again, there are many, many, many sites like that. Of, I think one's called findthelawyer.com. I know Martindale Hubble is, is probably the biggest uh, lawyer referral service on the planet. But figure out your needs. Yeah, figure out your needs. Um, call one of the referral agencies, and um, they'll do a pretty good job of, of putting you together with, with a lawyer who, if he can't meet your needs and he's a decent guy, then he'll refer you to somebody who can. 
So it begins with knowing what you need a lawyer for. You don't have to know the details of everything you need done. That's what you're paying him for. But you need yeah. to be able to find yeah, find somebody. But who, I, you know, I also think a big area. problem for the lay community is we don't even know if we – need an attorney because, you know, we try to do everything ourselves. Like if we want to start, we just, you know, go online and we look for stuff and then we don't know where we get in trouble. Then we want to contact me. So I'm sure you probably have more um, people being reactive than proactive when they come to your office. So how do we get around that? Is there some kind of way, I guess you could Google, um, I'm trying to, like you said, buy a building and it'll say, well, you need a uh, commercial uh, state attorney. But what about, how do you know if you have a corporate lawyer and then you have kind of labor or employment dispute, do you need an employment attorney or can your corporate lawyer handle that? Well, or do you, know, you allow it, your corporate attorney to make that decision? Well, I mean, um, that, that's why we have something called general practice because there, there are a ton of lawyers. I imagine the majority of them are like myself who have many, many areas of practice, not too many you know, but enough areas of practice to where your, your attorney is probably versatile enough to cross some lines that are closely related. And you just gave a good example. Um, a corporation has, has many aspects. I mean, you're dealing with stockholders, you're dealing with um, employees, you're dealing with officers, you're dealing with leasing companies, dealing with vendors. All that falls under the umbrella of business law. And generally, generally, if you have a lawyer who's a business lawyer slash corporate lawyer slash commercial lawyer, they'll have uh, expertise, well, if not expertise, competence in those areas anyway. So you can, um, and, and look, you know what, just ask them. Find, find a good a good lawyer, sit down and have a conversation with them. Lawyers are bound, you know, to be up front with you, but I don't know that I'd settle with any lawyer or anything at this point without having some other kind of um Verification is such a strong word. Let's just say referral. You do want to check your sources. Ask other people about the lawyer. Look, look him up on those sites that I told you about. Martindale Hubble is one. Uh, AVO, A-V-V-O, that's another lawyer um, search service where you can call and actually find out how a lawyer has been rated. I mean, there are um, a lot of ways to figure out whether the lawyer you have is one who's competent to handle the job that you need him to do. And including the first step, just asking them. Just asking them. Lawyers have a, a bad reputation, unfortunately, in too many places, but the majority of lawyers, like, again, many of their occupations are hardworking people who, who just want to do things right. So so getting a decent referral for your lawyer should not be that difficult. And if they can't do a job that you're asking them to do, most will tell you that. Okay, I have a question uh, from Twitter. And Sheila wants to know, are all firms required to do certain pro bono work? And if so, how do they make those decisions, who to do the pro bono for? You know, honestly, I can I can only speak for mine or for my state. And um, I don't know that it's required, but they strongly encourage it. And that will be um, different from state to state. And I tell you, depending on the issue, um, you, you can get you can have pro bono work done. Now, in that instance, you wouldn't go to a normal uh, lawyer referral agency. You'd, you'd go to your state um, pro bono. There's, there's always a pro bono board or some pro bono type entity in every state, maybe even in most large cities. 
you know, and, and they'll sit down in most cases even interview you. I mean, these are the legal clinics. You find your, your jurisdiction's legal clinic and go in there and sit down and talk with them, and they will find the, the firms who do practice pro bono law for you. And, again, it's most of the big ones anyway, and uh, they'll help you find what you need to find there. But for that one, you wouldn't do the general going online trying to run down the lawyer. You'd go to the legal clinics in uh, your, your jurisdiction or your, your county and find out, you know, who's doing pro bono. But, yeah, most firms do, to answer your question more directly. Most do. Okay, so what holds them to, uh, you know, are, is there any accountability for when you do pro bono that you give it your all as if somebody were paying you, like, $5,000 for the same kind of case? Is there some kind of way that they track to make sure you're doing all you can within those um, pro bono cases that you would if you had a high-profile paying client? That That is an excellent question. That's a very good question. And um, the answer to that lies within the rules that govern attorneys for each state. Each state's bar association requires a standard for legal work that can't change. The, the standard does not change according to the fee that's paid. And um, the theoretical answer to your question is no. I mean, there won't be any difference in the quality of service, and I can certainly tell you from my firm. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the guys that I work with make sure, you know, that uh, you, you go out and do extra when it comes to pro bono work, if for nothing else, because that work gets more media attention. <laughs> okay. Folks are looking at that. Yeah, so you Both have more people watching you, so of course then you are going to do, you know, above and go exactly. above and beyond. Exactly, exactly. We're good, but we're also not nuts. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, you get a, you'll, you'll get a standard. You know, the rules protect you and that, that media thing that's not written anywhere, but it's it's for sure there. Yeah, I'll see to it that you bono work carries the same um, quality measure that work that you pay for, and it's supposed to be that way. Okay. Have you ever um, turned down a client who came to you just out of the blue or was referred to you? Was there is there some reason why? And if so, what would that reason be why you just decline representing a client, whether it's corporate law or business law or entertainment or, you know? Uh, yeah, a bunch of times. Um, Quite a lot, as a matter of fact. And well, you know what? I'm 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 blessed to to have had wonderful practice, and even now, and um, you know, we don't we don't have to take everything that walks through the door. We can be a little bit more um, discerning in the work that we choose, and that's important. That's very very important because it's like there are there are some lawyers out here who get in trouble. There's also uh, clients out here who stay in trouble, and uh, I like to stay away from them. I just I just like to stay away from them. Unfortunately for me, I didn't find out once or twice until I got involved with them and then um, discovered that they weren't the uh, most ethical people in the world. And in that case, you sit down, you look them eye to eye, and you tell them, I can't help you anymore. I'm done. The funniest ones, though, were uh, some of my entertainment clients who um, came in to change the world and to be the new um, Denzel and that sort of thing. And the poor things had no talent at all. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you want to be nice to people. And, and I'm nice, and I'm nice, but, yeah, i got to kind of watch, uh, you know, the quality of, of the folks that I represent as well. You know, I mean, I, I have confidence. 
have confidence in, in a ton of my clients, but they also need to be uh, ready to deliver. So, yeah, there have been a, a ton of times where uh, we've turned down clients, and uh, it's just something you do in business, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up entertainment law because, you know, of course, since I'm in the entertainment industry, I have a ton of questions, but I didn't want to just bogart the entire conversation with it. So my question is, you know, entertainers or sports figures, they also have agents and managers. So how do how do those three, like you have an attorney, you have a manager, you have an agent, how do you guys work together and make sure everybody's, you know, for lack of a better term, stays in their own lane? Because I, I know agents and managers who, you know, they seem to want to take care of every single thing, even if it's not in their area or their lane, quote, quote. So how do you how do you manage that kind of relationship? Yeah, that that's another astute question and it once that it one that tells me that you are and have been in this business for a while for you to even ask that. But I can <laughs> tell you. Um it it depends on the industry. There there are um, different roles. Let's let's just pick movies and um music. In the um in the in the movie industry and you're talking about a person's team. And just to begin with, you know, that team more often than not is going to consist of a personal manager, a business manager, an attorney, and an agent. Just at the beginning. I mean, of course, down the line you have publicists and everything else, but we're just talking about the core. Um, in that in that instance, if it's a movie industry, the agent is the one who um, has the most clout runs the show. I mean, because in the movie industry, agents make or break your career. They get your jobs. They get you in movies. They get you on television. The agents are, are the uh, the deal makers. They split time between agents and attorneys, but agents are the deal makers in the movies. Now, music is different. And music is the attorney. I mean, um, the, the attorney runs the show pretty much in music. And in that scheme of things, the attorney is also the uh, the enforcer. I mean, the attorney is the one to make sure everybody stays close to the rules. Now, you know, an, an artist's relationship with his personal manager and business manager could interfere with that. It could interfere with that. But, um, yeah, you know, I don't mind telling you, if you hire an attorney and you allow him to do what what you pay him to do, then, you know, any problems that arise, keeping anybody in their lanes, there's, um, there's, there's legal relationships that define or supposed to define anyway what um, those individual players' roles are. And it makes sense that if somebody steps outside of their role, then they're in violation of some provision of a contract that falls for an attorney to enforce. So the attorney tends to be the the the, um, the driving force in the in the music side of it. But um, even more fundamentally than that, you have to be careful how you pick your team from the beginning. That's the okay. most important. Thing. That's the most important thing because that right there, it, it, it's self-regulating. I mean, your, your, your business manager needs to be somebody you trust with your money. And your business manager is somebody who's going to pay everybody. It's going to pay you, your crew, your team, your accountant, your lawyer. It has to be somebody you can go to sleep at night knowing that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, your, personal man, your personal manager, there's, it's not an accident that, you had folks like Usher, whose manager was his mom, and and even Ludacris, the manager was his mom. Britney Spears' manager was her dad. There's a reason that those people are so closely related 
to the uh, the artist. And that's because your personal manager is the one that keeps the world off of you. As, as as a star, you don't answer telephones, you don't answer doors, you don't. You, you have somebody do that for you, and that there's, there's a, a practical reason for that as well. Um, and it actually goes back to something you said a moment ago. I'm glad you brought it up again. As an artist, you need to be doing what artists do. You need to be creating. So the more time you spend worrying about the business end of it, the less time you are in a studio, the less time you're practicing your craft. And um, there are folks who are not wasting time. There are folks who are on the on the ball, and you might be losing out because of that. So you have to get competent people around you that you trust and that dynamic that you spoke about a moment ago. It tends to be self-regulating. Those folks will not get out of their lanes because, A, if your personal manager is your mom or your dad, <laughs> then uh, there's, a, there's a huge price to pay for trying to get out of your lane, you know, while you're <laughs> in, in that kind of circumstance. So hire good people, for one thing. Allow them to do what you pay them to do, okay, for another thing. And don't try to do too much. Personally, don't try to do too much. Hire professionals to do what they do. Uh, you know, and while we're talking about that, one more thing. Um, for folks who jump into the industry or who are considering getting into the industry, it's, it's, it's just what the title says. It's an industry, you know, which implies it's work. You have to treat it like work. You have to treat it like a business. You know, I know a billion kids on a corner rapping, dreaming about getting some kind of record deal when they have no concept at all that what they're talking about requires a business structure. You treat it like a business. Because, look, most folks get into this thing, the ones that come and go at last, and, and they last one night, they treat it like a hobby. Right. This is not a hobby. It's, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you effort. It's going to cost you money. But what better investment is there out there than an investment in yourself? So, you know, and again, I know I might have stepped a little bit far afield of what you asked, but it all ties together. Hire professionals. It really does. And, and you made some great points. And when you say that we have to people treat it like a business and set it up early, because if you're out there, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you hit a – you become that next great thing and you have no representation legally or as an agent or as a manager, then you're going to probably almost miss a golden opportunity because those things need to be in place to really go any further. And I know people say, well, I don't have the money, but it's a pay me now or pay later kind of industry is better to have it, as they say, and don't need it than to need it and don't have it. So I had another question that um, – because, you know, scandal has really put the eye on crisis management, crisis communication. So why is it that even though it becomes a legal, is a legal air, but they're having, like, publicists handle or be out front instead of an attorney? Is that, again, on the team, somebody decides that's who's going to do it instead of having an attorney, you know, know the crisis? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, crisis come in many, many different forms. That's another excellent question. Gee whiz, you really did some homework, huh? Look at you. <laughs> well, listen, um, the thing is, crises, crises come in many, many different forms, and they're not always legal. You know, and, and look, and I've seen scandal once or twice or three times, and I don't want to do some of the stuff they do on, <laughs> on scandal. <laughs> no, but uh, to the extent that it's not a legal issue, it's either a, a personal issue or a business issue or a PR issue, well, you know, I, mean, I don't see any harm in having a... Um, a, a PR professional 
you know, a business professional or somebody else handles stuff like that, that's okay. But your question, your question implies another more important question that again relates to something you said earlier, uh, and something you said a moment ago. Listen, when you're getting started in this thing, take take five, ten, whatever, how many thousand dollars it is. Go sit down with a lawyer and get started. And get started legally. I have um, two clients come to mind right now, and I'm certainly not going to say their names, but you know both of them are probably. Both of them are multi-Grammy Award winners. Um, the last time I dealt with this, this one kid, it was in a royalty fight. When he was signing up, he was just so excited to have somebody want to have him on a label, he signed the contract. Mm. Well, I mean, there was there were some things in the contract that came back to haunt him. And uh, my point was you could have given your lawyer, uh, comp- in, in comparison, little to nothing on the front end to sit down and get that done right. Because now on the back end, in a legal fight for royalties, you're talking about 25 30% of, of a multimillion-dollar judgment when it could have been a whole lot less on the beginning, if he wins, if he wins. But anyways, um, that, that goes to what you said a second ago. Just pay the money and get it done right, not have to worry about it. I had another kid, and it's just the, the, the female that I'm thinking about. Her problem was she didn't read her contract and didn't realize that. She was 17 years old. The uh, the record label had her signed. Mm-hmm. She, was annoyed, she was annoyed because they signed her, but they wouldn't put any of her records out. And that's because that was a good reason. They had another female on the label they were trying to push, and record labels do that all the time, so they had her locked up. They do that all the time. I've heard that many, many times. And they do that with books, too. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But her problem was she was 17 years old and didn't really – 18, I'm sorry, because she was legal. She was allowed to sign the contract. She did and didn't realize that they had her locked up until she would become 39 years old. Oh, my goodness. So, look, pay a lawyer on the front end. <laughs> it just makes sense. <laughs> really? And I get it done right. But anyway, um, back to your question about the, the, the scandal thing. It's all right to have other experts intervene when it's something that does not involve legal. But if it does involve legal, get an expert. expert. Yeah, I mean, because you hear all the time about, you know, celebrities, NFL players, basketball players who are in legal battles, but still you see their manager or their publicist very seldom advising, because if I were their attorney, I'd be like, mom's the word. You know, you say, do not go out, do not answer the phone, do not say anything. But they get people to make these statements, and then, of course, you got to defend everything else that they said. And I'm thinking, hopefully they're being advised by an attorney, even though it's the publicist. Out front, right, right, and um, you know, hopefully, like you alluded to a moment ago, that the team is strong enough such that the attorney and the publishers are talking, and they absolutely positively should talk. Because I don't mind telling you, um, you know, things that you say that you might think they're pretty much um, non-consequential in the course of a hearing when somebody brings your words back. It's a problem. It's a problem. It is definitely a problem. So I have another question when it relates to what would be your like your ideal client where you said, oh, this is going to be so easy, but it turned out that it wasn't. Have you ever personally experienced that when you thought, oh, my goodness, this is an easy case, but, of course, it's only easy if the client is telling you everything, and then you find out later that they didn't, and it becomes a, pro- a big, huge problem in the court. 
Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> that happened twice. Um, <laughs> I represented uh, a doctor in, in a medical malpractice action some years ago, a long, long time ago. I forgot how long ago. Well, anyway, he was accused of um, leaving a, a needle, I believe it was, inside of a patient after um, after a, a surgery or something like that. And they found out that while he was doing the surgery, he had students watching, so he decided to kind of stay in there and do a little extra to show the students. Well, when uh, we had this guy in deposition, they say doctors have God complex. Yeah, well, I've learned that. It's true. My little brother's a doctor, and I love him to death, but, oh, my God, it'll work (laughs) in the world. This old man, this old man, and he was old. um, Geez, he was up in his 70s. Um, he was the chief teaching physician at some huge hospital. He says in deposition, yes, I did it, and i do it again, and you guys can't tell me anything about what I'm doing. And he's going on and on and on, and at this point, I'm I'm just flying airplanes out of the window because I, I can't help him, <laughs> you know, at this point. So, uh, yeah, we have had that happen before, more than once. So, okay, I mean, tell me about I, this client attorney privilege kind of information. If you have a client and they really say that they're, you know, they, yeah, I did it, I did it, I said it, and um, that's between you and him. You can't even go to court and say, well, my client is really guilty. You can't do that? You have to prove uh, no. him innocent? Uh, well, you don't have to prove him innocent because you don't have to keep him as a client, but you can't, uh, you, you have to keep the privilege. Uh, which which means anything that's said between the two of you is is forever locked between the two of you. And uh, let me tell you, that's important, you know, because um, you, your client has to be able to be open with you and tell you everything. The worst thing you can do with your attorney is not not tell him everything. Not tell him everything because he needs to know how to defend you. He he needs to know, you know, in which direction the heat is going to come from, so he can kind of again get your case ready for you. But um, there are limits to that. Uh, the, the most uh, widely known limit that I can think of right now is you don't have to keep what would have been a privilege if it's about a crime that's going to occur. So if you've got a client oh, who says, So you can come to that. them and say, you know what, I'm really thinking about, you know, hiding some ark and, you know, trying to get out of here before my business folds. You can definitely use that again. Yeah, if, if, if it were well, you're supposed to, if it implies a crime. You know, and it's, it's distinguish a crime from a moral wrong. I mean, just somebody who wants to do something wrong, you don't have to report that. But somebody who wants to commit a crime, that's different. You know, I'm thinking about okay. going after the uh, the witness. Well, yeah, you you have to have an obligation to not keep that. That would, would have been a privilege, but it's not because accept it. You don't have to keep that one. But everything else between your client and your attorney is protected. And that's actually a good thing. I mean, you need one person on the face of the planet who you can sit down and lay everything out to. So, um, again, you're properly um, you're properly defended. Okay, so, this is another yeah. question that I have. Let's say you are in court and you're defending your client, and then all of a sudden the defense attorney or the other attorney says, "Well, you know, they have some proof that your client is lying." Can you like say, "I don't, want, I'm out of here"? Is that is, is there some kind of legal reason that you can't quit like right there in the middle of the trial or? Yeah. Talking to the judge about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the first one is the possibility that the guy who stood up might be lying. So, yeah, there's a ton of reasons you're not allowed to quit right there on the spot. Um, 
if it involves a, a, a trial, as a matter of fact, there's probably not a whole lot of, of instances that I can think of anyway where a judge will allow you to quit right in the middle of it. I mean, there are, especially as it regards state attorneys and, and local guys who have to represent clients that don't, they don't particularly appreciate, those guys don't want to sit there and do that, but they have a job, you know, and um, they have to keep with that job. I mean, if you got to pick who, who you represented, if you're a prosecutor or a defendant or an indigent defender board or whatever, eh, the justice system might not work for people who just don't like certain people. I mean, you, 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 you're not allowed to just walk out and walk away. That, that'll require a conference with the judge and, you know, maybe some outside evidence, and you're not allowed to quit right on the spot. And with good reason, with good reason. Now, look, let me say this, too, while we're talking about it, and this is um, in the area of criminal law, and it, it might have something to do with what we're talking about. I don't know, but it just occurred to me. Uh, people have a misconception of defense lawyers that defense lawyers get paid a whole lot of money to keep bad people out of jail. That's not true. That's not true. And uh, these guys get a bad rap for that. The essential purpose of, of a good defense lawyer is to make sure that if you are convicted, if the state does convict you of a crime, then at least they did it the right way. They followed the Constitution. All of your rights were upheld. All of the rules of court were followed. And and, and th that's the real purpose of criminal lawyers. It's not to keep bad people on the street. Uh, too many folks oh, have that wow. conception. Yeah, that was it's valuable because, you know, people get so much information from watching TV and watching movies because I recently watched um, The Lincoln Lawyer. You've seen that with um, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let's just start there. That's not true. That's really cool, but nah. No, man, no. It was an amazing movie, though. Come on, Eugene. Yeah, it was so cool. amazing. Cool. I was like, wow. Maybe want to go you know, out and buy You guys should check it out. It's on Netflix, but he says it's not true. That's just one of those, you know, glamorous kind of movies that's showing what they want to show. But he was so awesome, but he was good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was good. That was good. It's, 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 and that's cool stuff. You know, and I'll tell you, again, as a law school professor, uh, too many kids watch that and try to take it to law school. It, it, you, you can you can have fun with that stuff at a dinner party, but, you know, not in real life law, you know. <laughs> but it's fun. What I about the CSI, CSI Miami and all that stuff? Does um cases more harm than good or law more harm than good to see this kind of stuff on TV. And again, law students students take that to, you know, to their classes and try to debate or use that kind of stuff in their, whatever you guys do in law school. Yeah, but then they have to face me and learn really quickly that don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so look, here's the thing, though. Uh, here's the thing. That, that stuff is entertainment. Is entertainment and it's fun, you know. To be honest with you, I'm flattered that you know I'm in an occupation that the industry has so much interest in. It's fun. It's cool stuff. You just um, it, it does give a certain point of view, you know, to folks who are, are looking for what they want in a lawyer. And unfortunately, so many of those standards are so hard to look for. I mean, uh, to live up to. But um, yeah, it, it's entertainment and it's fun stuff and it's okay as long as you see it like that. It's fine. Yes, there's okay. nothing wrong with that stuff. 
Oh, okay, good, because I know my son, he is like a fanatic when it comes to that, and I personally think it just almost can teach somebody how to do crazy stuff. But getting back to when you say you are a bar examiner, so you're reading over what people are you know, go through the bar and pass. So, and you talked about, you alluded to the writing was, I guess, not, not really good, and they can keep you from passing the bar. So as an attorney, is writing like a really good stress? Um, that you should have? Um, well, yeah, let me clarify. I, I didn't say the writing wasn't good. I said the writing was critically important, and the writing is the difference maker. And uh, somebody who writes really well can take a bad answer and make it look good. So um, that, that's the thing. The writing, as a matter of fact, the writing I've seen on the bar exams, is, I'm, I'm proud of it. It's fairly exceptional. You know, but, again, you have students on there. There's levels, there's levels of exceptional. You have students on there that um write really well, and you have some on there that are just phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, writing is a skill that a lawyer has to have. I mean, um, architects okay. use, use use rulers. We use uh, words. That's, that's tools of our trade. So have you ever seen somebody who, in law school, they were so well-written, you know, their cases and whatever they were saying, but when it came time to present, or was there some kind of disparity there? And how do you work on that? Yeah, we call that A students. Okay, <laughs> there's uh there's a you know I mean there's, there's a bunch of folks have different folks have different skills, you know. And I'm just kidding about the A student thing. I have a one a bunch of wonderful A students, um, but folks have different skills. You know, some skills are oratory, some skills are written. I mean, you asked a, a second ago about the ideal client. I imagine the ideal lawyer would be one that can meld together excellent writing excellent oral skills, the ability to communicate with people, you know, all those things that it takes time to um, to really hone those skills. So, yeah, writing absolutely matters. And you do you do run into um, a conflict between, you know, guys who um, don't write necessarily well but who can really argue, and the other side is true too. But, you know, I know how to work it out. Wow, we all, we have less than two minutes, and I didn't even get into what what are some reasons that people can lose their license, and can you retire your license because, say, for some reason you're not getting clients and you just want to go into corporate America, but all of a sudden you say, hey, I do want to practice law. Can you go back into law without going back to school? Or, And if you don't get all your CEUs in, can you lose your license if you got to do this? The answer to everything I think you just said, if I can follow you, I think is yes <laughs> to everything. Um, you can absolutely lose your license for not having a proper amount of, of, of continuing education units. You can also voluntarily tender your license if you want to do something different. That's not a problem. I'm not sure about the getting back in part because, frankly, I don't know anybody who's ever done that. But... um you know, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining if you've been out long enough, then there's probably some measure of education you have to go back and get before you can start up again. But um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. Oh wow! 
You know, you're such an awesome listener because people can ask me like three questions and I'm probably going to only answer one of them because I'm just like probably thinking about something else and talking at the same time. So you you are, that has got to be a great skill as an attorney to understand and to hear every word said and every question asked and, and to answer it. So I want you to come back. Will you please come back and be our guest because I have been, I'm enchanted by your answers and you're just, I'm all over the place and you're keeping up with me. That's that in itself deserves a, a round of applause. <laughs> well, thank you. It's very gracious of you, and I'll return whenever you let me. You're so awesome. We, I know I've certainly enjoyed it, and I can see where people are listening online and, and everything, and we um, invite everybody to please tell your friends and everybody in post and go back to archives and listen to everything. And um, Eugene Ratcliffe, he's an amazing attorney. I can't wait to hear more about what he's doing and have him back on the show and take some more questions. So, everybody, thank you for listening. Always think positive, dream big dreams, help people along the way, and we will see you very soon on the radio. Bye, everybody.